codes verified. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secure channel. Captains, you're listening to episode 272 of Priority One Podcast, your weekly report on all things Star Trek. Available for download or streaming on Monday, May 30th at PriorityOnePodcast.com. I'm Elijah. And I'm Kenna. And as always, in the recording booth is our audio engineer, Winters. Hi, everyone. All right, Kenna, let's jump right in. What do we have this week? Well, this week we're trekking out the big stories from that exclusive Star Trek Beyond fan event in Hollywood including a shocking announcement from J.J. Abrams about the Axanar lawsuit. In Star Trek Online news, there's a major performance fix coming soon, and we're catching you up on the latest information we have on Agents of Yesterday. Later, special guest Samuel Wall, art director of Star Trek Online, joins us to talk about the visual design of the game. And as always, before we wrap up the show, we'll open hailing frequencies for your incoming messages. Captains, don't forget to keep the conversation going on Facebook.com forward slash Priority One Podcast or on Twitter at Priority One Pod. You can even send us an email via incoming at Priority One Podcast.com. And finally, thanks again to all our Patreon supporters who make this show possible from week to week. Visit us at Patreon.com forward slash Priority One and check out all the cool perks we have to offer. Now, let's check out some of the latest news in the world of Star Trek. I don't know. Then let's trek it out. Last week on May the 20th, a very exclusive event was held at Paramount Studios in Los Angeles for fans to watch the newest trailer for Star Trek Beyond and to participate in a Q&A with Justin Lin and J.J. Abrams. Let's recap what happened that night. For starters, the second trailer for the third Star Trek film, or the 13th, was released. Now, unsurprisingly, the reception for the trailer has been divided. Folks either love it or they hate it. However, what is clear is that most people don't hate it nearly as much as the first trailer. Or perhaps expectations are just so low for the film that it doesn't really matter anymore? Mm, I don't know. The trailer is much more story-driven than the first one, that's for sure. Also, what I noticed in particular, which actually has me excited for the film, is the cinematography. For instance, at about the 57-second mark, we see an angle of the Enterprise warping away from Earth. And this point of view is very unique and something I've never seen before. It's, it's actually quite refreshing. Then we see an interesting spin on what warp speed looks like at about the 31 second mark. Now, I can appreciate the film much better for something like this, even if the story is a little bland. I like the idea that Justin Lin thought to himself, hey, we've seen a ship warp a bajillion times. How can I make it look new and interesting? One of the problems with Star Trek is that it's just, the, the franchise itself is that it's just so massive, right? We've got so many episodes, so many films, that it kind of collapses under its own weight of creativity. So from this trailer, I, I, I like that we're seeing something unique, visually at least, something unique and new that we haven't seen before. For a frame-by-frame breakdown, check out an article on Gizmodo. Links will be in the show notes. Now, there's potential spoilers in there. You have been warned. So, Kenna, what did you think of the trailer? 
I will say that the trailer looks different from the first one. I think it's better than the first one, but it was always going to be better than the first one because we have some actual details. There's a bit more meat to it, right? Um, and it um, hasn't got the Beastie Boys. Um, it's a little more traditional for a Star Trek trailer, which is good. Um, and I think we see a little bit more hints of what's going to happen in the plot. So from, from that perspective, I, I think it's much better. I am excited. Oh, to be fair, I was kind of excited from the first one. Uh, but moving on, later in the event, uh, Zachary Quinto spent time talking about his relationship with the late Leonard Nimoy and the Nimoy family. Additionally, in celebration of Nimoy's life, Paramount named a street in the lot after him, Leonard Nimoy Way. Then, in perhaps the most shocking moment of the event, J.J. Abrams commented on the kerfuffle between Axanar and CBS Paramount. Let's just hear it straight from the horse's mouth. A few months back, there was a, a fan movie, um, Axanar, that uh, was getting made, and there was this like, lawsuit that happened uh, between the studio and these fans and Justin, and I need to tell the story because uh, he finally uh, was sort of outraged by this as a longtime fan. And uh, we started talking about it, realized that this was not, you know, an appropriate way to deal with the fans. The fans should be celebrating this thing, like you're saying right now. We all, fans of Star Trek, are, are part of this world. And so um, you went to the studio and pushed them to stop this lawsuit and, and now uh, within the next few weeks it will be announced this is going away and fans will be able to work on their project. Now this announcement was later confirmed by a CBS representative via email to a BuzzFeed reporter which also explained that guidelines will be developed for fan films. Finally. It seems however like it came as a surprise even to the Axonar folks who were in attendance. Did Abrams possibly speak out of turn? Yeah, probably. At this point, beyond the announcement and the email to the BuzzFeed reporter, there hasn't been much of an update from CBS Paramount about the settlement or guidelines. However, Axonar has been moving forward with legal proceedings, which, which makes sense when CBS and Paramount haven't yet legally done anything. I thought that whole thing was really strange. I, it, so much. Okay, first of all, I'm going to go into it a little bit here. CBS Paramount clearly have no control over who works for them or with them, right? They really just don't. They, it's, it's like, it's, everybody's just shooting guns in the air, just shooting in the air, just randomly like the wild, wild west. You know, first it's, first it's Justin Lin chiming in, J.J. Abrams, Simon Pegg with the original trailer, teaser trailer that was released. I mean, it's just they, they have no control. There's like just anybody can say whatever they want. So um, I'm pretty sure that that Abrams, I'm pretty sure that this comment came out of the blue. And when it did, somebody freaked out somewhere in an office and started crying. That is pure conjecture, by the way. We have no evidence that that actually happened at either CBS or Paramount. I would like to just put that we little cannot confirm that cannot We cannot confirm, confirm that tears were, were actually shed. <laughs> so that's number one. Number two is, uh, second of all, I, I'm pulling this tweet from Matt Televixen uh, because I think that she, she really made a, a great point. Quote, Leonard Nimoy, the godfather of Star Trek, was honored last night with a street at Paramount, and all anyone is talking about today is a lawsuit. End quote. It's true. You know, it really is true. I think that this whole lawsuit 
it's I, I almost want to say it's it's been a little too public, right? It, it's it, it clearly, you know, th there is a divisiveness in the community um, between people who support this particular fan project and people who don't, um, and it's very extreme. And I think that both sides, um, actually three sides, right? You've got CBS, Paramount, you've got the group at Axonar, and then you've got people who don't like Axonar. And I think that all three sides are acting very extreme, you know? And I think blame, I, I think everybody has, uh, can carry a little bit of blame. It's just sad to see that this Star Trek community can be so aggressive to each other. You know, it's just, it's, it's, uh, it's disappointing. It really is. Um, I just want to, I would love for all this to just disappear and go away. You know, let's get the guidelines. Uh, you know, let's continue to produce and be creative. Uh, and, and tell stories that we love to explore and just set our egos aside. Just drop the egos, you know? It, it's That's really what it is. It's just a one big pissing contest between all these three sides, and, and um, it's a shame. Well, I'll, I'll tell you what was a, was a bit of a shocker and why I didn't actually believe that this had happened when I first read about it, is you don't often hear stories of a very large IP owner taking on a fan production. And this whole event has totally gone, like, gone nuclear, basically. In terms of the Star Trek fandom, everyone's heard about it. Even people outside of the Star Trek fandom, like people that I know have heard about that and ask me, hey, what's going on with that fan film that's happening with something to do with Star Trek? And I'm like, how have you even heard of this? I find it really odd that a actual professional somebody paid by cbs paramount would even say a word about it in in a professional event like that i that that just kind of floored me because i didn't think that was very professional and uh, it surprised me it was a surprising move so i can kind of understand your vision of somebody in somebody's head office like tears going what the hell's going on because i can't I can't imagine that they would choose to, I don't know, maybe it's because it was a fan like event because they made a big deal about how it was a fan event. Maybe they thought that was a good idea, but it just seemed really weird. It did. And, and JJ's delivery of the whole thing was awkward too. Uh, you know, it, it just, there was nothing that sounded official about it. Yeah. Right. It sounded like he was vaguely aware of what was going on. Yeah, vaguely aware of what was going on, and then and then just just saying something to say something. I don't know. It just it was it was it was just awkward. Um, but but really, you know, it, it. I think that Televixen really makes a great point. You know, it's that that you know there was the event was about Star Trek Beyond. The event was honoring the late and great Leonard Nimoy. Um, you know, these are these were very important events um, that I think JJ's announcement kind of you know um unofficial official announcement you know took away from yeah absolutely all right that leads us to our community question this week what got you most excited from the star trek beyond fan event coverage you can leave your replies in the comment section for this episode at priority one podcast.com forward slash po272 now let's get mark in on the discussion and find out what's been happening this week in star trek online Computer status report. Status. Incoming message. I'm only in the mood for good news today. 
Well, Captains, welcome to Star Trek Online News, where this week, Mark, Winters, and I are catching you up on a couple of big stories. And later, we'll be chatting to Samuel Wall, Star Trek Online's art director, about his vision for the game and what we can expect to see in the near future. First up, Winters is taking us through a major development in how powers are handled in Stowe and how it might improve server-side game performance. Recently, Jeremy Randall, aka Borticus, tweeted that the team had uncovered a new lead on some of the power-related performance issues that exist in the game. In a lengthy and very well-explained post on the forums, he details exactly what the issue is and how they intend to tackle it. The issue they were facing is to do with what they call attribute modifiers that are attached to players or NPCs. In the game's engine, he explains, the devs use a type of shorthand called attribute sets. This lets the devs say, affect this entire set of things, without having to list each one. We know it as all damage. The all damage modifier, or attribute set, includes 16 separate attribute modifiers. Phaser, Plasma, Disruptor, Tetrion, Radiation, Toxic, etc. Every type of damage in STO. So for example, if you use Attack Pattern Alpha, which increases all damage, it actually applies 16 different attribute modifiers in the back end of the game. And it does this even if you only have one type of damage from your ship. As a more extreme example, the pilot starship trait Pedal to the Metal, which previously stacked up to 20 times, was actually applying 20 multiplied by 16, which came to a total of 320 attribute mods when fully stacked. As a core part of the engine, they have always had a cap on the number of attribute modifiers a single entity is allowed to have present on them at any point in time. You can see how the cap on attribute modifiers can be easily reached, and it's when this cap is reached that we start to see issues with server performance. The lead software engineer, Flying Targ, is currently working on a solution. He's finalizing a change that will cause the engine to interpret the attribute modifiers in groups, which count as single entries. That means that every source of all damage modifiers will be reduced to 1 16th its former footprint, as far as combat evaluation is concerned. Since this is strictly a change to the way the code interprets certain powers, there is absolutely zero impact on the effectiveness of player abilities and equipment. They hope to have these changes ready to roll out to Holodeck before the release of Agents of Yesterday. As always, we will leave a link in the show notes to Jeremy's complete post should you wish to read it at PriorityOnePodcast.com forward slash PO272. Moving on to some more story content related news. Over the past few weeks, several blog posts have gone up about upcoming missions for Agents of Yesterday expansion for the new TOS characters. So far, we've picked out a few excerpts taken from the blogs. In a mission, Painful Omens, Space Station K-13 has suddenly ceased all contact with Starfleet and it's going to be up to us to figure out why. In the mission, Return to Babel, at a critical conference for the Federation, ambassadors discuss the delicate situation of the admittance of the Corridan system. Various parties want to disrupt the conscience from the shadows and only a cunningly hidden operation can stop them and make sure that the conference aboard the USS Enterprise Ooh, goes Enterprise! as planned. In the third out of four posts that we had for missions, the Battle of Caleb 4, Klingon ships have attacked repeaters in the Federation's subspace communications network, and Starfleet Command believes that it may be a prelude to an invasion. And in the fourth of the missions, Tangled Webs, in 2268, the Defiant responded to a distress call in the unexplored Tholian sector. The crew of the Enterprise discovered the ship adrift three weeks later, caught in a phenomenon known as an interphase. Ew. A boarding party discovered signs of insanity and mutiny. The question they now faced was, 
what happened. Currently, these missions are available to Gold and Lifetime members over in the Tribble Test server. Have any of us managed to have a look so far? What do we think? Thoughts? Opinions? Haven't comments? Played them. I'm not a go- I- Sorry. I tried to play them. I tried. I'm, stu- oh, I'm still right. stuck in the tutorial. No, um, I don't- mm, Part of me really wants to play, and part of me really doesn't, because I kind of want to wait until they come out properly. Um, also, I can't get onto Tribble. But, you know, uh, if I could, I probably still would wait, I think. I'd still wait. Well, I can get on Tribble, and I have played them, and I enjoyed them. And man, do they have a TOS feel. They really, really do. They are so cool. I, I, I thoroughly Don't you feel like, them. what do you have to wait until July for now? Like, don't, don't you feel like it's a bit of a letdown? And you're going to have to play it again as well. I don't mind. I'll play it again. And I'll play it more than once, most likely, because I'll probably create a couple okay. of different characters. Fair enough. Mm, fair enough. But you've enjoyed them, and they're good. I have. No spoilers. Thoroughly. Yeah, there, there is, a, without giving any spoilers, there is a real TOS feel about them. I mean, the colors that are used, and it, oh, this, I mean, even traveling through sector space, you just look at it, you're like, this really does feel like you're, you know, uh, in an MMO that was in the 1960s. I can't think of any other way of explaining it apart from traveling through sector space. It looks like what special effects would have been um, pretty much back uh. in the 1960s. The colors that they use for certain stars and things like that. It just has that feel. I'm going to have to try this out. Now, um, one comment, well, that you made earlier, Winters, and that I've actually seen a couple of other people uh, make on Twitter and the forums. Do we think this is it? So that's that's basically six missions in the Agents of Yesterday. And do we think that's it for the story arc? I I hope not. I hope there's a lot more because I yeah. was chomping at the bit uh, to play more of it. it. If it's only six missions, I think it's uh, you're, it's over far too soon. So I hope there's a, a lot more than just six well, missions. But we do still have... They're going to have some explaining well, we do, to do still have quite a long time before the expansion actually launches. So it's probably going to be sometime in July. And the rate at which some of these blogs are coming out, like, what else do they have to announce? Because we got, what, six weeks left. <laughs> We've been having a couple of different blogs a week, so... I'm at least hoping maybe they're sort of like a teaser, like a, a trial to get the feel of them, to see how these sort of missions would go. And there's actually many, many more. Well, I do think it's an odd thing. Um, Do they normally release blog previews like this this far in advance? Because I think it feels really weird. As somebody who's planning on waiting until the expansion and to play them, I think it seems really strange to have, um, you know, six missions. I mean, okay, it doesn't really tell you what happens, but six missions teased this far out. Is Is that strange to anyone else or is that just me? Yeah, I think they're just trying to build the the hype train or hype. Well, and I hope it keeps going because if they, if the if that's it, and then uh, and then we've got like six weeks of silence, I, uh, I'm gonna feel tired. I doubt there's gonna be six weeks of silence. Uh, They've they've probably got uh, more blogs to do with actors that are gonna come, uh, you know, doing Mm. voiceover. Um, They'll probably have more blogs about 
stuff like that. Well, again this week, in an effort to bring you some of the news and comments from PWE and Cryptic that aren't officially announced in the blogs, here's the latest comments pulled from the Twitterverse. Al Rivera at Captain Gecko tweeted, Gotta catch them all. And it's a picture of all the current Did you see that within the game. <laughs> it's like little Pokemons. Yeah, I it. tried for about five minutes. Not very hard. I tried to kind of come up with a clever, like, Pokemon analogy and it didn't work. So if any of our listeners can come up with a clever Pokemon analogy, please do tweet them to at Captain Gecko. Yeah, who do we need Who do we need to get a Master Ball to catch and get them in the game? Uh, I don't know. The big man himself. I think that would require a Master Ball. Thomas Moroni at Cryptic underscore TTC tweeted... Fixed registry number leading on TOS ships. Now the digits will appropriately spread out. Hashtag devils in the details. Yeah, he did actually clarify what he meant was kerning. Basically, the the spacing is all spread out. Nice and perfect on the TOS ships. Ah, Any of you font nerds will appreciate that. Don't you call me? (laughs) (laughs) And finally, community manager Laughing Trendy tweeted... I have a strong opinion about the Federation, apparently, that comes out when I write placeholder text. Goody two shoes. <laughs> <laughs> and lastly, before we wrap up Star Trek Online news, here are some upcoming events to look forward to. Get your swimsuits ready and your jetpacks tuned up. The summer event on Ryza starts on the 9th of June and will run through mid-July. There's also a bonus marks weekend starting on the 16th of June. As always, events are subject to change without notice. Make sure you check the in-game calendar or listen in here at Priority One Podcast for the latest news and updates from Star Trek Online. And now let's chat with Samuel Wall, art director for Star Trek Online. Security clearance level three or above is required to access files. This is Captain Benjamin Sisko. Authorization Sisko Alpha One Alpha. Logs accessed. Well, Captains, today on Priority One Podcast, we have with us Samuel Wall, who's the art director for Star Trek Online. So, Samuel, welcome to the show. Thank you. Uh, So, just to start us off, for those of our listeners who maybe aren't familiar, could you explain what falls under your remit as the art director? All the art. Um, I get to hold the artistic vision from UI to effects, cutscenes, characters, ships, environments... Um, everything that you see visually on screen is under my domain. And how, lo- how long have you been the art director? Uh, going on a year and a half, or a little over a year and a half now. Could you tell us some of the things that you maybe think you feel as though you've had your mark on in Star Trek Online, something that we would recognize? Uh, all the Iconians. From- all of the Iconians? Yeah, uh, the whole Iconian experience was, uh, especially their character design to their... Uh, heralds and their ships were definitely, I'd say, my mark and just kind of my vision. And so that must have been one of the first things that you that you tackled when you started in this position. Yeah. Um, so when we set out to do Iconians six years ago, I had actually done uh, individual contributor work. I had actually made a lot of Iconian. Uh, materials and props and things because we were going to tell that story a lot sooner but we ended up never using any of that so from six fast forward six years later i stepped into the role as our art director and had an opportunity to kind of fulfill my vision of what the iconians were 
Uh, it's, it's passed hands through three different art directors now. So the Iconians have, have, have been touched by three different art directors in that whole time. Uh, yeah, there were um, a lot of different ideas over six years and that we kind of got rid of a lot of ideas and focused on other ones. And uh, we, with our amazing concept artist, Hector, we kind of unified the direction and uh, went forward with that, where they kind of had control over uh, gravity and nanotechnology and, and teleportation. So on the flip side, what would you say your biggest challenge has been in Star Trek Online so far? Um, one of the most interesting and challenging aspects of the, the job of art director, art director is maintaining uh, the fan idea that adheres to the, the IP. Uh, Star Trek's beloved by so many people, and everyone has their own uh, vision of what Star Trek is. Some people love POS, uh, TNG, and every show, every movie has its own unique style and vision. So, Well, I wanted to talk actually about Agents of Yesterday. So the expansion is coming out soon, and we already know from some of the screenshots and things that we're expecting it to look really, really different. Could you give us a bit of an insight into what it's like to try and fit uh, what's a really modern-looking game into the original series? It was a really big challenge. Uh, the the original experience, the original series, just had such a unique uh, look to it, right? Because it was like on the the cusp, black and white television becoming. Uh, color television, they, they really went wild with it, with their crazy lighting and dressing and set dressing. So we wanted to distill, dis, to distill all of that into uh, our game and make things simpler and cleaner and in this modern, minimalistic approach with vibrant colors and costumes. So. Where do you even start in that process? Watching a lot of Star Trek. Uh, ah, oh, that's too bad. <laughs> um, I I understand you're a TOS fan. I am. Yeah. Yeah. So that must have been a, a real joy to be able to do. Yeah, I I love Spectre of a Gun. I mentioned it last year at STLV. I think the the set design and the color that they use to drive home emotional beats. And sound and the, the shots in that that episode are just fantastic. It's such a wild <laughs> episode, but you know there's so many really good TOS episodes in my opinion. But uh, yeah, there's there's so much to pull from too with the styling. Uh, we really wanted to drive home that idea that you're stepping onto this. Uh, television show with the film grain and the vignetting where the corners get a little bit darker, really highlighting certain areas with just a warmer uh, color corrected in the way like yellows are a little bit stronger with purples and blues, a bit more saturated, but also a duller at the same time. So, so where, what would you say was the hardest part, the biggest challenge in, in getting the TOS look right? Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, well, the way that we've been describing it <laughs> is to kind of, be kind of putting yourself back into the 60s. I don't know if, if anyone's watched Mad Men, but like, it kind of represents 
the ideal idea of the 60s. And, you know, they go out to lunch, they have a gigantic steak and then finish off a bottle of whiskey. And then step on the stage where, you know, they're under spotlights where they're starting to sweat and glistening because they've just had so much steak and whiskey and getting this idea that like these characters are, are just, I don't know, almost uh, just in this weird state with this crazy lighting and getting into character. And, uh, uh, it was fun. Yeah. I mean, it must be quite a challenge because Everything in Star Trek Online so far has been very futuristic, and I mean, obviously, it's Star Trek; it's futuristic. But you're taking it to the to the original series is like retro futuristic. So you know that must have been everything from from the UI to the maps to the ships to ship interiors and everything. You must have had to. Did you throw everything out and start over, or did you sort of massage what you had into the TOS look? Uh, we pretty much started over. Uh, back in 2011, I did the original, um, the Connie interior and bridge. We, that was pretty much our jumping off point for everything. You know, we, we tried to get into the mindset of how the television show would have made things, where it's like, okay, we, we're under a tight budget we would take this set and maybe light it a little differently, change the props around, maybe add a new prop. But overall, it's still a Federation ship, but you can tell it's different enough. So um, the hardest thing about developing a whole uh, experience that's flavored with that the television from the 60s is simple is more. Uh, with technology now and video games, we, we want to add so much detail. We want to add so much life and visual storytelling to every scene. And they didn't, they didn't have a lot on screen back then. So that was the biggest struggle for our artists was to, <laughs> to stop putting things in on from ships, like stop detailing things out, effects, keeping them really simple where it's just a flash of color to the UI where it's this simple, uh, simple curves, maybe no curves at all um, to the environments and lighting. Because it wasn't high def <laughs> no. back in the 60s. <laughs> and if you look at all the shots too, like they're really tight, uh, tight field of view shots where you'll, you'll get a character in frame, but maybe you won't even see the background where the background's really blurry. So. So the focus is on the characters in every episode. So the, the, the idea of propping out that background in information in a video game is a hard balance. Yeah, because, it, because theoretically in, in the game, people can go and ignore what's happening over here and they can, they'll go around and look at all the buttons in the constitution class interior won't they they'll go and look at all the stuff up close whereas normally in a you know in a tv show or something you only ever sort of see it on the background behind somebody yeah yeah we had we had a lot of dedicated people that had scoured the internet and for photos of original sets and and anything that they could find to allude to more detail in these the interiors and the ground yeah. space but but presumably there isn't there isn't actually an awful lot of detail. <laughs> <Correct>. <laughs> yeah. 
Now, I just wanted to talk about uh, the film grain thing because uh, I know that some people who have played um, on the test server so far have talked about this film grain effect that you've added uh, to uh, the missions and the, the play to get to help get that feel. And some people have complained that it's actually making it hard to see and difficult to play. Do you, will that be something that people will be able to turn off? Do you think? Uh, we're still looking into that. If we can, all right. If we can turn it off on demand, uh, we're still kind of tweaking it. We're listening to the feedback, and so uh, maybe it's just not dialed in enough. So we'll we'll kind of continue to address it, but it definitely holds the vision of what we're trying to shoot for for delivering a 60s Star Trek experience. Well, I wanted to switch to talk uh, not so much about Agents of Yesterday, although this kind of dovetails in between. Um, so we've heard a lot on the blogs that there's some new lighting technology coming into play. So do you have anything to do with um, that engine and that migration? Um, yeah, so we're, we have some of the art, some of the environment artists are working on updating the lighting throughout Star Trek Online right now. Uh, we did it in a very systematically approach where we attached lights to a lot of different objects and, and assets and it propagates throughout the whole game. But then we're having artists go back and polish certain maps and, and just look at things to see if they're okay. and they need to be tweaked at all. What it really gives us is a lot of secondary and, and tertiary um, bounce light so that it really creates an environment to feel more realistic. And the way that the characters are grounded in those environments is just even, um, it's just more amazing. I think our game looks really good right now, especially our space, and this is just taking it to the next level. I'm really excited to for what the team's doing and the hard work that they're working on. So. Yeah, it does look really good. So we're wondering, what's the overall aim for the new lighting? For example, does it make it easier for players to discern gameplay elements? Is it to modernize the software to make it more efficient? Or is it purely for the shiny? Uh, it's definitely all those, right? Because the, lighting's, the lighting improvements improve gameplay space immensely. So it makes it a lot easier to actually get around and see things. Um, and we're still trying to hold the emotional tone with all those lightings. So it, it's a nice, fun balance. So a lot of environments have gotten a little bit brighter and your characters are more grounded in it. So there's bringing a lot of a new shiny to it and the game just looks gorgeous. But we also want to make sure that the game has legs for the next 5, 10, 15 years. So we're always trying to make improvements through the technology on the back end, through redoing episodes to bringing up a whole new lighting system. So what's the process like moving to the new system? Is it something that's done piece by piece, map by map, or is it a global change and then it's tested for consistency? Um, it's a little, a little bit of both in regards to a systematic approach where we light assets individually and they propagate through the game and whole maps will be lit via that way. And then you would then have to go back and check those lightings, uh, those maps for bugs and to see if they're living up to the standards and the emotional feel of the episode that it previously was. 
some instances it's been it breaks the emotional experience so we kind of went back and tweaked those lightings on the map but not the assets so and this is something that i'm quite interested in on the on the color side of it uh, once you've updated the lighting for for the assets and the maps um is there ever a process where you you go through like a color correction or grading to then compensate for the way the lighting's changed ah, i don't know if they do that in a game engine or if that's just a video thing but yeah a lot of a lot of games actually do that a lot of video game uh well a lot of game engines do that uh, star trek has done it a little bit we're actually doing a lot of color correction on ages of yesterday it's, we usually stay away from it because it's a post-processing effect that most of the players won't or some of the players won't experience because uh, it's one of the first things that drops off off of the extreme high end of things um, but we it will be determined if we start using it more i think it's, it's a tool that we just haven't used enough Right. Do you think there's a lot of variation in the way that, uh, like the, the particularly the color experience that uh, players on a lower end computer versus a higher end with everything turned on? Do you think there's a lot of difference in the way they experience those? Um, well, there's there's even differences in between high end machines. It depends on the machine and how it's calibrated, how the monitor is calibrated. I can't I can't really tackle all the issues across so many different machines but with lower machines there shouldn't be much difference in the end and if there is then it's a problem and that we need we just need to fix it try to tackle those things before it goes live and sometimes we're just not perfect and we let bugs slip through yeah no i just think it's really interesting the idea of because obviously with agents of yesterday you're going for a very specific look and feel um that comes out in the the design the the look that people are experiencing and the idea that well potentially some players are experiencing it slightly differently i just find that interesting sorry that's just me being a bit of a color geek <laughs> yeah i mean the, the high-end things for Agents of Yesterday should only improve the experience. It shouldn't take away if you don't have it. So. Right, so we've talked about the, the lighting design and we kind of want to move into uh, talking about the console design. So you were at FedCon recently, weren't you, with Steve Ricosa? Yeah, that was fantastic. Yeah, and one of the things that you guys talked about was the launch of Star Trek Online on the consoles, which obviously is a very large undertaking. Can you can you give us a brief overview of how like a new user interface, either an element or a whole new system, would be developed for STO? So do you start with the content, what you want to show people, or do you start with how people use it, or is it somewhere in between? Uh, it's a little bit in between, but definitely more on the user experience. Uh, it's, you know, we have a keyboard and a mouse, and we have like some odd... 40 some odd buttons to be able to press and you know, distill that into uh, 12 buttons on the controller. So so that was our first like focus with the discussion of how do we get this all into a console? And then the next was how do we get all the, all the complex UI that we have into a simple screen that you have to, you can only navigate through essentially a D-pad. And, 
And uh, so there was a lot of different directions on what we wanted to go, but our amazing UI team uh, and slash UX team, user experience team, uh, did a lot of amazing mocks to to uh, to get a general idea of what the user experience should be, and we continue to develop that a little bit more with a little iteration, and we've come to a really good place where some of the UI is just even better than the, the PC experience. So we want to. Controversial. Yeah, but <laughs> once you see it, it's going to be fantastic because you'll want it in the PC version. Some of it. Yeah. Some of it. Some of us are looking forward to uh, potentially an open beta where we can play around. Some of us. So how does a UI get tested something like this, and how much does it change during its development? It's changed a lot. Uh, we're constantly playtesting the game on console and, and with a controller, um, I think almost every day. So we we had to come up with like a fairly uh, good idea. We had to come up with a fairly good idea of what the basic level of how the interface would interact. Uh, hitting the start button really kind of brings you to all of your menus and what you, where your ship loadouts are, your bridge officers, your inventory management, you know, some central location for all that, all the information. Um, and then we kind of iterated into sub-menus from that. What does the inventory look like? What does it look like to equip things? How do you equip things within this different editor or this different um, paper doll. So I think uh, we, we've talked with um, Steve Ricosa and I, I, I don't, from recollection, he didn't think that we were going to be porting the controller UI to, um, to the PC version of the game anytime soon. Uh, but I was wondering where you are also making some other interface changes for the console version. So in your menus, um, in the way that you access, you know, your ship inventory, for instance, will any of those then move on to the PC? Uh, I we definitely hope so. One of the biggest improvements that we've seen so far is actually the the queue uh, the queue menu and how you queue up for um, all of our queues. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. more, more, how many times I can say queue in a sentence? <laughs> yeah. So. Thomas did a fantastic. Thomas the cat did a fantastic job of distilling a really simple user experience UI design for how you queue up for difficult or your hard and elites and normal modes and how will, for what reputation, uh, what queues go with. So there's a lot of ways you kind of sort it. It's all there that's already uh, on the PC, but it's just more visually pleasing to the eye on the console and we were in talks of really bringing that one over to the PC uh, the, the other ones are up for discussion we'll see how things turn out yeah because I when I'm thinking about it you know you, you do have to simplify a lot for the consoles because it's people are sitting further away you don't get as a fine a detail uh, control over your pointer etc simplifying a menu could actually be something that would be good for the PC. So I, I think that's a potential, isn't it? Yes, definitely. That's a potential. Having a smoother, cleaner player experience 
is always a goal for me. That's always the direction we want to move in. <laughs> so sticking with the PC, what do you see as the biggest problem with the current UI? What's something you would like to improve in the future? Huh. Well, I think that the queue list is one of my bigger pet peeves. When I want to go get into the game and want to queue for something, it's just I have to scroll through a giant list of things. Um, yeah, I can sort it, but I can't really eliminate things. Um, but one of the things that I, always, I really want to get is like a central that you can uh, you can collect your duty officers, your reputation rewards, and probably start up the other ones all on, and crafting all on one kind of screen, or or maybe just collecting them there. I don't know. There's there's a lot of talks and kind of making almost a home splash page type thing where it's like, oh, here's your new, here's the new mission, here's new, uh, here's your rewards from crafting, here's your rewards from your reputation. Oh, we're running this event right now. You should go check this out. Like a lot of that information is distilled in different locations. Just have one simple UI element that kind of brings all that home. While we're talking about um, bits of the UI, what is your favorite part of the UI, either in the PC version or the upcoming console version? What What's the bit that you like the most? Um, well, I, I, I already kind of mentioned it. It's definitely the... The new Q UI is fine. Well, I could tell you what my favorite bit is, is just the fact all the all the little L cars elements that you get. I mean, I know it's not totally present on your screen, you know, when you're playing normally on the PC, but all just the little touches in the various menus, just, you know, the curved borders and all of that. <laughs> that's, the, that's the stuff that really keeps me coming back. That sounds really lame, but I love it. I've even got on my phone, I've got an L cars um, lock screen because I can. Yeah. So that's awesome. I Yeah. There's so many people that are such big fans of L cars. It it I was not the biggest fan to begin with, but it's definitely grown on me. Uh, so I I'm so happy with what Thomas has been able to do. Uh, just just continuing the design the design of L cars is is fantastic and I applaud him for doing such a fantastic job. So and just on a on a personal note for you, like I mean, we've talked about a lot of different things, you know, the lighting engine and the user interface. Uh, as an art director, what's your favorite part of your job? What's what's the thing you like to really sink your teeth into and go for? Well, I came up through the environment team, so as an environment artist, we touch everything from lighting to uh, sky to the the ground that you walk on to the ships that you explore like really getting my hands deep in those those things is definitely my comfort zone um so i really enjoy that but then what i've actually really enjoyed is getting to know the ships even better because when i was on the environment team i didn't didn't really like learn like discuss things with the ship artists and and talk about like what they're working on so much. So uh, once I stepped into this role, understanding the bigger picture of what the ships really are to certain people and what they what they really strive to deliver has been a fantastic journey of learning for me. And I we had a blast designing the TOS ships. <laughs> so. 
so you said you uh, you were previously an environment artist. Um, do you, could you give us like an insight? Is there anything you know coming up in Agents of Yesterday that maybe you really like and we haven't quite seen yet or we haven't previewed yet? I, I think there's a TOS episode that's not yet on Tribble, and I think it has to be one of the. <laughs> it's uh, there's an episode from the original series. Uh, Operation Annihilate, where the Enterprise crew beams down to a planet and it's infected with the neuroparasites. Um, well, we've done the neuroparasites episode, it's like number three at K13, uh, but well, we, we actually created a ground environment that's a Romulan colony based off uh, 60s modern architecture. So it's this really gorgeous, uh, environment they're interacting with some Romulan TOS characters oh. well I'll look forward to seeing that then yeah good and the store is fantastic too <laughs> ah well as always like I have a lot of faith in the storytelling in Star Trek Online at the moment so um, I kind of take that as a given um, so a quick bonus question right so on Twitter a few days ago you tweeted a picture and said you would give away a free lifetime subscription to anyone who guessed what it was um, has anybody guessed yet uh, no no one's gotten even close ah okay mm. so uh, <laughs> it's all still to play for is what you're saying <laughs> there, there really is uh, what, two years worth of planning in that one picture Right. <laughs> okay, so we will leave a link in our show notes to said tweet, and you can go and have a look for yourself and uh, tweet Samuel if you think you can, if you think you can identify whatever's going on in there. So, yeah. Uh, so uh, that's all the questions that we've got. Uh, have you got any questions for us? Uh, or is there anything that we haven't touched on that you wanted to talk about? Well, I guess maybe this is. How uh, was it a challenge to kind of come up with art questions or art related questions? For me, it was a challenge to not get really geeky about um, color correction and color design and grading and the vignetting and the film grade and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> so, because uh, I'm not sure most people would maybe want to hear about all the details about how you've come up with all that. But, um, no, not really, because I think, I don't know, I could go on and on about the art in Star Trek Online because part of the reason we're all here is because of the immersive experience of being in Star Trek. And it's a little bit subliminal, but um, the art is a big part of that. And I know I really got switched on in the latter half of the Iconian arc when we started seeing Iconia and some of those environments, which take the game to another level personally so. uh, with ancient Iconia yeah and I, I could geek out about the art all day long but so no that whole story arc was just so much fun to develop for and like I said earlier the, the Iconians were just uh, really got my hands deep in that kind of thrown into the fire with uh, leading an artistic vision with that and the team really stood behind me and supported the direction. And Ancient Iconia just, we wanted to just sell that these these Iconians were almost mystical 
and beautiful species. So and I, I hope that we distilled that. Well, it must have been a really big undertaking because the Iconians, you know, you've, you, you were building up for, to it for so long. And these are creatures that we never saw on screen. Um, and so it's sort of left to you guys to really fill all of that detail in. That must have been a massive undertaking and uh, a, a lot of stress. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, yes, it was, a lot of, it was a lot of hard work that went into that. Um, we went in a lot of different directions with Antonians, and that was because of where we're at. We didn't then uh, with how the art structure, how the art team was structured, and how I kind of stepped into that role. It was just like a chicken running, running around without its head on, and we we, we stumbled onto an amazing visual style, and it was it was a lot of fun. I would love to go back to them, but we'll see. Well, I mean, now you've got kind of a big, another very large artistic vision thing to pull off with um, the original series aesthetic, which is a little more understated, maybe a little less shiny than the Iconians. But um, how, how do you, I mean, how do you hope people will react to it? Uh, I mean, obviously you want them to react well, but... I think it's a love it or hate it. Like, you know, I, I we set out... I, I, for months before we even were starting to talking about, we're like, okay, the next expansion is going to be TOS. Okay, what does that mean? Well, it's just visually, it's so different. And we, we really want, I wanted to set out to make sure that we made it look like the show. And it's going to be a really different visual experience from, you know, if, if you're really new to the game and start a TOS character, and then once you get into the 2409, it's just going to be different and you'll you'll know the difference and then uh in a few levels you'll go back to the tos experience and you'll be you'll be surprised or you know feel feel at home again and you come back to the 20th or 25th century 24th century and it'll just you know like oh this is the game that i i I, do you do you think we'll feel like we're time traveling yes definitely Okay, well, I'm I'm looking forward to it. I haven't played it even on Tribble yet, so um, I'm totally all I can do is wonder for the next month and a half. Oh, I or have all of it. Mark's played it, so is Winters, yeah. but no spoilers. You two? No, none at all. No. Okay, well, thank you very much for coming on with us today, Samuel. Uh, really appreciate it, and it was a really interesting insight into a side of the game we don't actually talk that much about which is the artwork um but yeah i hope that you won't be a stranger and we'll get to have you on again soon yeah i'd love to thank you message coming in sir hailing frequencies open see we are getting to know each other well captains this is the part of the show where we open hailing frequencies for your incoming messages last week's community questions were should cbs and paramount be able to claim copyright for the Klingon language? And our second question, what did you think about the new Star Trek TV series teaser? So for our first community question regarding the Klingon language, listener David S. sent us a voicemail on SpeakPipe. 
Hey everyone, this is David S. And in response to the first community question about whether CBS and Paramount should be allowed to copyright the clean on language, the answer is a very simple no. Hopefully this will no longer be an issue because in August of this year, the language learning app Duolingo is supposed to be adding Klingon, and I have been looking forward to it for quite some time. I'd be really disappointed if the Duolingo team had been discouraged as a result of the Axonar lawsuit. Well, that's my two bars ago press Latinum, so keep up the great work. Bye. Now, I didn't know about this, that Duolingo which I do use, um, is going to come out with Klingon. Apparently it's on track for the autumn. You can sign up on their website to get notified. What? Have you not heard about this? No. Go and check it out, duolingo.com, and you can search for languages. And one of them is Klingon, and it's currently in development and due to launch uh, around August, I think. Cool. Now, what is Duolingo? Duolingo is an app. uh, I think it's across all the major mobile operating systems. That it's essentially, it's a free language learning app. Uh, It comes in a number of different languages. I think it's sort of community driven. And it just takes you through various um, lessons. And it has, it gives you a daily reminder of how many minutes a day that you want to do it for or how many lessons you want to do. Um, it, periodically, you have to go back and relearn previous lessons to sort of keep you fresh. And it does things like, it changes it up. So some things are like, it'll say a word and you have to click on what the word means or sometimes you have to type it out. It's, it's really good, actually. Very easy to use. It's totally free. It's got quite a few languages on there. So, um... I was relearning Russian, which I haven't learned since I was in school, uh, and also a bit of Dutch. So I highly recommend checking it out. And when Klingon comes out, I'm going to be on that. (laughs) How they're going to do, I mean, part of it is it it actually does speak to you. It dictates. So uh, I'll be interested to actually hear pronunciation because I've seen Klingon written, (laughs) you know, uh, anglicized written. Uh, Not heard an awful lot of people speaking it. So it'll be interesting. Anyway. There was also a pretty good discussion on the Star Trek Online forum post for this episode. Tyler Maxwell said, Yep, of course. The Klingon language, or Klingonese, is a fictional construct that was made for its use in the Star Trek franchise. Full stop. The vast majority of ways that it is ever used is, in Star Trek itself, by other media in reference to Star Trek, by people seeking to have a Star Trek-inspired experience, speaking it while in Klingon uniform, doing a faux Klingon opera or drinking song, etc. And Gavin Runeblade replied, Precedent from the Oracle versus Google case says languages are collections of words, and words are facts, and facts are very specifically not one of the categories that can be copyrighted, though you could copyright anything you publish using those words. This is what led to the API ruling, Java can't be copyrighted, but an expression using Java can. So by that precedent, this argument goes, Klingon can't be copyrighted, but the transcript from any episode or movie can. Interesting point. Mm. I did not know that. Yeah, I was reading up a little bit. I am not a legal advisor, but I was reading up on this Oracle versus Google case, and it has to do with Google using some uh, Java API um, and Oracle saying that it was infringing on their copyright, but then 
well, uh, as Gavin Runeblade explained, it would, it's not the language, it's the usage of it, um, and the whole thing was thrown out. So I wonder if that would apply to Klingon in this case as well. Probably. And as for your reactions to the new TV series teaser trailer, Sean Newboy wrote on PriorityOnePodcast.com, I'm hopeful, but the teaser does not give much to work with. And Mike, also on PriorityOnePodcast.com, he said, I love the logo. I thought it looked steampunkish and quite fitting for the time period under consideration. I'm anxiously awaiting the new series since my wife and I already subscribed to CBS All Access. Which I think is actually the first person who's admitted to uh, having a subscription, so well done, Mike. Well, that wraps it up for episode 272 of Priority One Podcast. But before we go, here's a reminder of this week's community question. What are you most excited about from the Star Trek Beyond fan event coverage? Captains, you know we love hearing from you. So leave us a comment on our website at PriorityOnePodcast.com or on our Facebook page at Facebook.com forward slash PriorityOnePodcast. We're also on Twitter at PriorityOnePod. You can even leave us a voicemail for free via SpeakPipe. Just click on the widget on our homepage. Don't miss a thing from the world of Star Trek. Catch our episodes every Monday morning by pointing your favorite podcast app to feeds.priorityonepodcast.com. And if you're listening to us via iTunes or Google Play, please leave us a review. More importantly, help spread the word about the show. Invite your fellow Trekkies. It's your support that keeps us going. Don't forget to tune into Priority One Productions' Guard Frequency podcast at guardfrequency.com. Covering the world of space sims, including Star Citizen, Elite Dangerous, Descent Underground, and many more. If you like this show, then listening to Guard Frequency is the logical choice. Thank you to Samuel Wall, Star Trek Online's art director, for joining us on the show this week. Thanks to our graphic artists, Romulan Ale and Jason Smith. And if you enjoy our comics, the creator of our comic series, Jonathan Towery, can be commissioned at johntowery.com. Thanks to all our bloggers and their managing editor, Elle. To our writer and social media manager, Jake Morgan. To our video editor, Jerry Tillman. And to consultant Midnight Shadow 7 of Hollow Sweet Media for supporting this show. Thanks to our audio team led by Michael McDonald with assistance from Brandon Parker, Jake Morgan, Asmaria de Post, and Gavin Lewarn. Thanks to the composer of our theme music, Chris Watts. Thanks to our syndication partners, Subspace Radio and Trek Radio. Most importantly, a big thanks to you, the Star Trek community, and our listeners, because without your ongoing support, none of this would be possible. Red alert. Shields up. Ready weapons. Engage. Engage. This is Elijah Intro Sync this is 1. Kenna Intro Sync 2. This is Winter's Intro th- Sync 3. <laughs> intro in 3, <laughs> 2, 
Well, Elijah was so fast. <laughs> he tried to go just as fast. What was up with that? You were doing it really, really fast. It threw me off as well. You're like, three, two, uh. <laughs> In Star Trek Online news, there's major performance. No, there's a major performance. <sighs> with jazz hands. <laughs> well, for a frame-by-frame breakdown, you can check out an article on... Uh, article? Article. Article. How do you... It's because I was looking ahead. Gizmo, Gizmodo? Gizmodo? Gizmodo. Gizmo, are you even here? Where are you? I'm, I'm not, I have... I start talking and he walks away. That's so rude. It's Gizmodo. Gizmodo. <laughs> it's Gizmodo. Gizmodo. <laughs> okay. Do you know what, the, you know what the, the thing is? Is that I, I bought a wireless headset, <laughs> so I'm no longer tethered. So, like, when I... Like in there, I can walk away and do something real quick. <laughs> I'm just going to and the still bathroom. Hear what's happening? I'm glad to see you. I'll be, I'll be, I'll be, I'll be finishing off. Check it out. And, um, <laughs> but I'm, That's great. But I'm hearing it all. Great. So, Kenna, what did you think of the? Uh... <laughs> <laughs> The stallion, baby. <laughs> oh, God. I think we broke Kenna. <laughs> so, Kenna, what did you think of the trailer? <laughs> <laughs> you did manage to get that line out, just. <laughs> <sighs> Take it a deep breath, right? I, I I had two paragraphs worth of review. Okay. Why don't you listen to me? What? Why don't you listen to anything I say? Nobody listens to me around oh here. Never. They just hear, they just hear Spanish. That's all they hear. You know what I hear when when you when you speak? Riva, 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 andale, andale. That's all you hear, isn't it? <laughs> you got no. it, Chilio. This is Elijah closing sync one. <laughs> I didn't catch a word of that. <laughs> what the just <laughs> happened? <laughs> Maybe I'm hormonal like, or something. Like I literally have no idea what the deuce just transpired. You're not alone there. I mean, it started strong. <laughs> <laughs> We we had a good takeoff. Oh, I'm better. I'm fine now. <laughs> <laughs> what? How? All I said was closing. <laughs> it's fine. I'm still recording. Are you guys oh yeah, still recording. <laughs> right, Just sync up again. Okay. It's fine. <laughs> Are you crying? No. <laughs> my gosh, she's crying. <laughs> I can't stop. I'm sorry. <sighs> Why are I you crying? <laughs> I told you, maybe I'm hormonal or something. 
Um, wait, 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 wait. Hold on. So wait, was that a laugh or a cry when we started closing? <laughs> I'm not sure. Like, was that was that one of those like? <laughs> I don't want it to end. <laughs> I got, I got to get a tissue. <laughs> oh my god. Oh man. <laughs> I think I'm just a bit embarrassed today. I cry when I get embarrassed. I don't actually cry when I'm sad. Which is really annoying when you are sad. And you want to cry and then you can't. I tend to, I cry when I get embarrassed. Or frustrated. Why are you embarrassed or frustrated? Because I keep making silly noises and things today. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, nothing is going to be better than... (laughs) (laughs) True. I hit my knee. I hit my knee. (laughs) (laughs) All right, I'm back in the room now. For those of you who do not know what Elijah's talking about, I whacked my knee off the desk earlier, and it was really sore. This is exactly how it transpired. Uh. (laughs) Uh. Winters, are you okay? I hit my knee. (laughs) (laughs) Dearie me. All right. I just kept recording because. Oh yeah. Whatever. Okay. There's like two or so three bloopers in there. Closing in three. Two, if you see, here's the thing though, if we play that Kenna was crying, people are gonna think that I like said something <laughs> and I made her cry, and then oh, there's another subreddit. All right. We were like a minute from the end. We're a minute from the end, woman. Oh. Okay. It's late. It's Friday. Don't miss a thing from the world of Star Trek. Catch our episodes every Monday morning by pointing your favorite podcast app to feeds.pray. I can't do it. I was really trying really hard. Don't miss a thing from the world of Star Trek. Catch our episodes every Monday morning by pointing your favorite podcast app to feeds.priorityonepodcast.com. And if you're listening to us via iTunes or Google Play, please leave us a review. Yo, hold on a second. Can you, can you take it from... Because you want... You want... <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly all, what I'm happened. I'm also really bugged up. Can you hear? <laughs> <laughs> she goes, this is exactly how it happened. And if you're listening to us via iTunes... <laughs> <laughs> God, this is so difficult. This is so. <sighs> I really, I literally can't breathe properly now. <sighs> Brandon, I am so sorry because this usually. This is, this so is short, the easiest but... part of the show. Uh... Closing is usually one of the easier parts to edit, but he is going to have so much stuff. He'll be fine. He's an ace. He'll be, he'll be good. I'm sorry, Brandon. You're right. He is an ace and not an idiot. That's right. He it's, it's is Winters, not an idiot. He's an idiot. 
importantly, help spread the word about the show. Invite your fellow Trekkies. It's your support that keeps us going. And if you don't, you'll upset Kenna. I might cry. <laughs>